universally the number one thing you hear coming through is like clarity of vision, clarity of mission, clarity of purpose in people's lives. And so that starts with you as leaders having that conversation with yourself to say, what is the impact we're looking to have? What is that impact in the world that we're looking to have? Hi, I'm Aaron Levy, and I have this vision of a workplace where your manager doesn't suck, where instead your manager is your coach, helping you to reach your full potential at work. I founded Raise the Bar, wrote Open, Honest, and Direct, and started this podcast to help companies transform their workplace into a place where both the company and employee succeeds. In this podcast, I get to interview leaders who built high-performing teams and learn from them on what it takes to unlock a team's potential. Today, I'm lucky to have Jim Conti, the talent partner at Hyde Park Venture Partners. In Jim's role, he provides strategic support and consulting to the firm and all of their portfolio companies. In this episode, Jim shares his insights from serving as the head of people for two fast-growing startups, D-Scout and Sprout Social, and how this new seat and role supporting multiple organizations helps him see the people needs of a business even more clearly. Jim does a fantastic job in this episode of highlighting a couple of key thought processes that an organization and team should take as they scale and grow, and then some really impactful tactical nuggets. I know you'll enjoy them. Take a listen enjoy. Jim, this is like just fun to have this conversation recorded and do this as a podcast. I feel like we've jammed on all things people for, for years now. So thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing your time and excited to, to share your learnings and lessons with the audience. Yeah, same, Aaron. Same. I am and so, so excited to be here today and be able to share a little bit of my journey and experience with the audience. Let's start where your journey's taken you thus far. This this role that you have, it seems like a really unique role. <laughs> what does yeah. talent partner mean at a venture firm? Like, what Ooh. does that even mean? And why would a firm invest in a role like this? It's, it's a great question. It's interesting. I actually didn't know much about this role before I stepped into it. So I still feel very much feel like I am learning the position and learning kind of the function as much as I am doing it. So for better or worse, lay in that brickwork as we are on the move here. Yeah, so I joined up with High Park Venture Partners as their first talent partner in August of 2021. For me, it was a chance to do a couple of things. One, I'd been the head of HR for two different Chicago-based software companies before this, Sprout Social first and then DScout most recently. And I'm just overwhelmingly appreciative for those experiences. I think about the depth that I was able to get in those conversations and those workflows and, and kind of what I did there. As much as I love that, I recognize that they were still two data points. And so thinking about this position with Hyde Park, my role is one where I do effectively HR consulting for our portfolio companies. And so on a day-to-day basis, I'm working on projects with somewhere between maybe you know five and 10 of our companies, typically around uh, talent acquisition, culture, DEI, benefits strategy, performance management, kind of all over the place. And so I'm taking this, this depth of two experiences that I had previously and kind of adding on to that with, at times, dozens of additional data points of what I'm seeing in other companies. And so what I really love the most in the transition is being able to kind of expand my own worldview, thinking more holistically about how to tackle problems that are coming up, or especially where there's similar challenges that come up, being able to think through solutions there. And I think a little bit about the role within the space here. So I'm one of the first talent partners in the Midwest. It's a position you see in coastal firms, coastal VC firms, relatively often. For example, Andreessen Horowitz, which is likely a firm that, that most listeners are aware of, 
has a team of about 35 that does the function that I do today. So yeah, a little bit of like <laughs> aspirational building that I can work towards. But I think that the advent of this role within the Midwest specifically really speaks to, for Hyde Park and, and hopefully more broadly as, as this role becomes more common, a real focus on the tech ecosystem that exists within this region and a recognition that talent is going to be a primary factor for the companies in this region to be able to win, to be able to get to the other side of whatever their journey is and, and be successful. Hmm, yeah, I was. that's what I was thinking is, you know, venture firms like Hyde Park and many others, overhead's uh, a significant thing that you try to limit, right? Bringing on employees to pay their salaries because that money gets allocated out to businesses and, you know, your salary is not getting allocated out to a business. So, you know, the question would be like, why invest overhead in a role like yours? Like what's the value from a, from a firm perspective in a role like this to their portfolio? Yeah. So Hyde Park's been around for about a decade at this point. We're doing investment from our third fund. So we have some experiences. We have some of those kind of rotations under our belt, if you will. And so the team is able to look a bit at kind of aggregate feedback that they've gotten from portfolio companies across time. And as I was getting up and running, one of the, the my partners on the investment side kind of made the joke, but was also very serious at the same time, that the numbers one, two, and three requests he gets from his founders that he's working with, with his entrepreneurs, is around talent stuff, whether it's introduction to someone, how to navigate through a, st- a sticky situation, needing to launch a new program and not being sure how to do that. And so while there is obviously the overhead of the, the cost of the role, I think you have to look at what the output on the other side can be. And in, in that at least a little bit, there has to be that philosophical alignment that talent is really going to be a differentiator as a business continues to build and, and, and their ability to be successful. And so the gamble, the, the bet that we're making here is that a really dedicated resource around the talent piece whether people or functional, is really going to be a, a game changer for our portfolio companies, really helping them. You know, I would love to say like, you know, make big leaps and jumps, but probably realistically more smoothing out their journey a little bit more, helping them navigate through some of those tough moments via learning from other people's experiences rather than maybe having to learn every one of those hard lessons on their own. I freaking love that. Like the two things I'm hearing from what you just said, Jim, are like, what's interesting and fascinating as somebody who focuses on people development is that the one, two, and three requests or needs from the founders toward, toward the venture firm was all around people. <laughs> and, and I love how you said it's not necessarily providing leaps and jumps, but more so smoothing out the journey and helping mm-hmm. learn from, from what hasn't worked. And so you've been someone who's, you know, scaled and grown companies, right? From Sprout Social, taking them from what, a handful of people to over 450 employees, helping grow Scout. Like you've had quite a career of growing through these lessons and building people ops in the tech space. What are some of those key lessons that you've learned about people and the people ops side of the business that you are now able to share along the way with a growing organization or growing team? It's interesting because sometimes those lessons can be very specific to the company that's asking a question, right? So sometimes those lessons are very tight. Sometimes they're a little bit broad. I think the couple of that I would share very broadly are that one, the most successful teams that I've seen are teams that really empower the the members of their organization to be able to do their best work and that they kind of help them figure out what that best work is at times as well. I think kind of very closely correlated to that. Number two is listening to employees. So really searching out that employee feedback 
understanding what's going well within that employee experience and that employee journey, doubling down on those things that are going well and the things that aren't working correctly, coming up with an action plan to actually adjust those and make them better for folks moving forward. And I think that the last point is the, or the last point that I bring up here is that the organizations I've seen win the most are those that are also human themselves. They recognize that folks have, you know, entire lives outside of the four walls of the business and the business is doing everything they can to support those employees and those individual journeys as well. And that can be everything from becoming a parent to buying a home to needing to relocate across the country, you know, all sorts of different things in that way. But businesses that really look to have a human approach to how they support their employees rather than just here's our handbook, here's our policy on that, go follow the rules, but really engaging in that conversation with team members. I think that's that's really where I would see a real differentiator that can be universally applied, really. You know, it doesn't have to be industry specific or you have to be a startup to apply those rules, but rather anyone can do it wherever you are, whatever you're doing. It sounds almost as if you're like building or have a playbook already built because it was pretty darn succinct. Right. What I heard was one is empower your team and empower others to to do their best work. And that might mean defining it, but really empowering them to do the work, listening to your employees and what their needs are and what they're saying, and ultimately understanding that we're all humans and taking a human approach to business. Yeah. Sounds beautiful, Jim. Just really, really great. And I can be sarcastic with Jim, everybody, because Jim and I know each other well. (laughs) Sounds really, really great, Jim. But like, how the heck do you do that? Like, what are some examples of how, I mean, I think the thing that I see a lot of organizations struggle the most with is, is the first one that you mentioned, right? Empowering others, empowering others to do the work. When I did the work before and I'm the CEO or I'm the chief people officer, I'm the head of marketing and I now become the bottleneck. Like, how have you helped? And speaking to teams that are in this space right now, right, that are in the scaling fast phase, what are some examples of what's worked to empower others to do their best work amidst this crazy scaling? Yeah, my brain goes to kind of two words, humility and clarity, when you ask that question. So Mm. humility, I apply to the leader. So whether that's the founder who's building out that first layer of an organization or a team leader that is scaling up a, a, a function in some capacity, that humility to be able to take a look at something and step away and say, I know that there is someone out there that can do this better than I can. Let me go find that person and empower them to do it is something that is, is ego hit for many, right? So you have to kind of recognize that emotional response you have when you think about starting to take that step back from something that you have done and, and theoretically have done successfully for a while. And so with that in mind, really having the, the humility to step away and say, I want to create space for someone else to, to do this better, to think differently about how this thing can get done, to maybe do this thing more efficiently and removing removing yourself from that scenario. So, so that's piece number one. But piece number two, which I think is very closely tied, is clarity. I'm thinking clarity specifically around organizational goal setting. So having a really clear picture, what you as a business are looking to achieve over X period of time and having those very clearly articulated, shared widely with the team, discussed, feedback has been gotten on them. uh, So that when you have a team member that's coming in and you're thinking about how do we evolve this function to be the next thing, right? The next, whatever it has to be that there's already the clarity in place of what the impact is going to be for that. And I think that when you kind of pair those two together, that humility of the leader and the clarity of the goal setting, that's where you really have the pathway to be able to have someone step in, be empowered to be able to take something to the next level. Yeah. And I almost heard, and maybe I'm just jumping with my own assumptions. So just shout at me if I am, like clarity on the goals, clarity on expectations. And in between those lines, maybe at the start of that, I kind of heard like, getting clear on what the impact is of the job, like as you're creating the job, yes. right? Like yes. what is what does success in this job mean? What are the outcomes we're looking for? And 
those are the goals of impact, right? Totally. So Aaron, I'm going to workshop this with you for a second. So if it doesn't make sense, challenge me on it. But one of the best pieces of advice I was given early in my career around recruiting and specifically recruiting for my team was to look at the process of having to add someone to your team as a failure of something you've done before, right? Your your process didn't scale, the system you had in place didn't work, Mm, whatever it might be. I know that can be a little harsh and folks are like, well, no, it can be representative of like growth of the business, right? Like you just need an extra software engineer or an extra recruiter to get things done. Totally. I get that. But if you shift your brain into this focus on like, there's a failure and adding someone into your team is going to fix that failure. or going to give them a chance to be able to kind of try something new. I think what it does is it does two things. One, it adds that clarity of purpose, that impact that someone is going to have. And then in that first conversation with a candidate, I can say, Hey, Aaron, I'm so glad we're talking today. Here's what I need solved. Here's what I am not getting done today that I'm looking for someone to come and solve for me, right? Get that person engaged, get them clear on what they're going to be working on as quickly as possible. One. Second, I think that it also adds a excitement, maybe is the right word, or a celebration when that person comes, not just the, the standard like, yay, we have a new team member, but like, holy crap, like we get to go solve this problem or fix this thing that we haven't been able to do yet. And so you're also rallying that energy on the team in a way that I, I think can be really, really compelling in a way that I, I love seeing. So I think about that a lot. And I, like I said, let's workshop it if that message doesn't make sense. But it's been one of the most uh, clarifying statements that someone made to me about how to hire from my team or how to think about hiring for my team in, that I've had in my career. I, I love that. It makes a whole ton of sense. I mean, I think about like just the different roles that we've hired at Raise the Bar and you know why we've hired them. And it makes sense like, hey, I don't have time to do this, so I can't yep. do this. And the failure is like, I'm yep. not having the conversation with the person that needs to be had or we're half-assing something because we don't have time or capacity or bandwidth. And I think that makes mm-hmm. a whole ton of sense. And the layer that I'd add since we're workshopping, it, it, in my mind is like back to clarity, right? If you have clarity on what the goal is of your role or your department, as you're scaling, mm-hmm. right? Then you can you can find the role in failure of what's not working. And what what I think is also really hard to do, but really, really vital is if you're thinking about growing more than just one role and growing a department, is what's the opportunity for the future success of this department? Yep. And what does that actually mean? Basically, it's a it's a deeper dive into the failure, right? Is the failure okay at a certain level to say like, hey, we're just not going to be good at that? Or if we want to grow in this way, we we have to make a rollout of this failure or we have yep. to make a rollout of a couple of these failures versus just saying, you know what, that failure is okay. Yeah, I, nail on the head, right? It really helps you have that conversation with yourself or, or the powers that be that you need to have the conversation with around the like need to have versus nice to have, right? Is this a thing that is mission critical for our success as a business? And if it is, do we have the staff support systems, whatever behind it to, to achieve the thing? And that comes from clarity, right? If you don't have the clarity of, of impact, of purpose, of direction, you're going to miss the opportunity to make sure you have that very critical conversation. The, the other place where my head goes with this is a little bit more macro, but you look at any conversation around the current talent market and, and almost universally, the number one thing you hear coming through is like clarity of vision, clarity of mission, clarity of purpose in people's lives. And so that starts with you as leaders having that conversation with yourself to say, what is the impact we're looking to have? What is that impact on the world that we're looking to have? And so th- what we're talking about here is kind of more individually going into a recruiting conversation or getting ready to, to start a recruiting process. But I think even more at the macro, like having that clarity as a firm about like what you're trying to achieve in the world and giving that to candidates so they understand it well before they even you know step into a process with you can be really, really helpful, especially in this market where we have a lot of roles that are available and you're trying to stand out from the crowd. I mean, I feel like you're stealing words out of my brain. You know, anybody who's who's listening to this podcast who's heard me at some point, I've said 
the three most important things any organization can do is provide clarity, like clarity on where we're going, what we're doing, how we're going to get there, context on why, why is this important? How does this impact the world? And psychological safety that like mm-hmm. the ability to feel like I can speak up and share and, you know, uh, ask questions without being humiliated or made fun of. So I think like day in and day out, almost every problem I see within any business I talk to, it's, it's usually a lack of clarity or lack of safety. And that's mm-hmm. just, I'm, I, I love that you're hitting this on the head and I didn't pay Jim to say any of these things. Um, <laughs> this is just natural. Okay. So we talked about empowering a little bit. You said listening to your employees is really, really important. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some tactical ways that an organization can do that besides for just like, you know, I think of the office and like the suggestion box, right? <laughs> Something doesn't get read for five years. Uh, okay. Like, so here's what I'll say in response to that though, is like, you got to listen in multiple capacities. So you can have the comment box, but it can't be the only thing you have. That's, that's where I'll start. When I think about kind of listening to employees, like you have to think about what is that menu of options you have at your disposal. Overly relying on just one, I think is really going to kind of miss the mark. So if you're just doing an annual engagement survey, but you're not doing things like exit interviews or stay interviews or looking at Glassdoor reviews or, you know, any of a, a number of other places where feedback can live, I think you might be missing the mark. But at its core, when you're listening to the team, whatever places you're pulling from, as you're getting that information, wherever you're getting it from with your team, the purpose of listening is that you're not just hearing the words, but you're understanding concepts. So when you're going through the process of running a survey or reading glass reviews or whatever, you need to really make sure that you are taking the, the messages you're hearing and then reflecting them back to your team. So find an opportunity, whether as part of a, a all company meeting or maybe a departmental meeting to share back those, those things that you feel like you have heard to validate them. Make sure you are understanding that feedback correctly because we all bring our own lenses through which we interact with the world. So you need to make sure that you're you're kind of gut checking yourself, that your understanding of that feedback is accurate. Some of the ways that I've, I've seen this done really well. So if you're doing an annual engagement survey, one of the things I've loved to do is, is kind of do the aggregate information for a company-wide meeting. And then in the kind of week following that, do departmental or team meetings where you look at both the company information again, but you're also cutting that information for that team or department specifically. Spending the time kind of triaging if there are specific challenges, issues, or successes within your business and kind of smaller groups. And those are either lessons you can learn and pull to other places, or you know where you have to focus a little bit more specifically can be really, really helpful. I also think it gives team members space and time to be able to not just react to what they're seeing, but also if necessary, advocate for themselves, which might be really hard in an all company meeting, but within a department meeting might feel a little bit more approachable. Outside of that, I also wouldn't put one-on-one interactions like off the list of ways to listen to your employees. So making sure that you schedule and keep those one-on-ones, you uh, are ensuring that robust feedback is happening within the organization. Someone like a raise the bar, helping to coach the organization on how to deliver feedback if you need to. I didn't um, pay him to say that. I didn't pay him to say it. <laughs> But you have to start to do those things and finding the ways to be able to kind of pull the information from these one-on-one interactions into more of an aggregate setting. So maybe that means you also set up something like a manager's council or, or, or committee, or you're doing various strategies to be able to kind of get that feedback out of those settings. I, I think at the core, when you listen, what you're doing is really making sure that you understand the humanity of the person on the other side of that conversation and that you have this one small moment to really validate that. And given where we are in the world and all that has happened in the last almost two years here, I think that folks are just looking for a little bit of that human connection. So uh, something I said earlier in our conversation here, but I think, you know, being a little bit more human, listening to the team and, and connecting with them in that way is is one of the best strategies you have um, to be able to, to think about employee retention and, and, and keeping people happy on your team. 
we could go for hours on this. It's so fascinating. One of the things we talk about is receiving feedback like a scientist, Mm -hmm. which means like get curious. And what you mentioned is like, look at all the avenues. Like this is how my brain's compartmentalizing this is like, you have exit interviews, you have stay interviews, you have glass door, you have surveys, you have one-to-one, you have you know, manager committees, there's not just one way to get curious about what's going on in your business. And then what I love what you said is probably even more important than that, because a lot of people might do that, might gather the information. But what you said is not just get curious about it, but analyze and assess, mm-hmm. listen for key concepts, reflect back, mm-hmm. validate, like show people that you appreciate the feedback. Otherwise, you're not going to get it anymore. So, so valuable. And I think the other in- really valuable insight that you shared here amongst all of them was like, don't just share it by org and don't just look at it by org. Look at it by department. Yep. Look at it yep. by team because that might be a specific issue with that team and actually have downloads or dialogues with those. It's just really, really tactical. And this this makes a whole ton of sense. And it kind of goes back to the third point, which you shared, which is like, hey, make sure your business has a human approach, has human-centered mm-hmm. focus. And it's not one thing that you do to make that happen. What I'm hearing is, from what you're saying is, it's in how you set up your job descriptions and your job roles and how you create your and communicate your vision and mission. And it's how you gather employee feedback and share mm-hmm. it back and engage. What I'm hearing is the human-centered approach is infused in all the different things we do within our business. Yep. And then I think the other word that I would add in there, Aaron, is, is consistency, right? One of the big mistakes I see companies making is they they are intentional about that recruitment message, about the brand that they're putting out there. And they, you know, pull in great people. Those folks make it through the interview process. They you know, offer letter on board of the organization. All of a sudden they're 90 days in and they're looking around and saying, wait, what happened to the thing that was talked about before I got here? That's not here anymore. So I, I think that there can be a real failure sometimes of putting forth a really great front image, but the the back end experience does not align. And so all of the things you said, and make sure that they all actually come through the entire employee experience, all stages of that employee life cycle. Yeah. And it's hard. Yeah. That takes effort and energy and focus. Yeah. Because the actual commitment or the the execution on consistency, that's a prolonged process, right? Getting a good, crisp recruiting message out, that's a project you have to work on. That's something you have to figure out and get out into the world. But once it's out in the world, it kind of does its own work for you a little bit. The actual work around those messages is in that lived experience within the team. So you have to make sure that what you're putting out there is something that is sustainable for you as an organization, uh, and it prioritizes the right things for you as a team, right? That you're doing the things that you need to get done to be successful as a business too. Yeah, that's a really, really good point, right? It's it's matching those you know, external picture of you, but also even internal expectations and goals and role impact things making sure it matches who you are and not just purely aspirational because in order to be consistently living in it, it takes work. And if it's doing what you're doing already or doing an enhanced version of what you're doing, that's going to be a lot more effective, efficient, and sustainable. That's such a good point. Wow. Yeah. Jim, this has been like, I feel like we could go on for a a (laughs) long while, you know, going back and forth and, and brainstorming and jamming. I'm just super excited for other people to hear this because I feel like you've given some really clear ways in which teams and organizations can start to think about how they scale themselves. I love it. Aaron, likewise, it's been really great being able to, to spend some time with you today. I always enjoy our conversations and, and likewise, always feel like we could go for hours. If I could impart kind of one final thought here, I think that you know, for, for companies that are listening and are thinking about at this moment in time, how they engage with their teams, how they connect with them, you know, we, we've talked about being more human and that can feel, I think, a little lofty or aspirational. Really, it starts with just like, 
starting with one conversation, right? Like start with one connection with one person, use that as a chance for you to learn a little bit more what that looks like to develop that very personal human connection with someone and then start to multiply it, replicate it in other relationships too. So, you know, it's not something that has to you know happen overnight. It's something that can happen gradually over time, but being intentional and, and, and being someone that shows up in the same way every day to have those conversations, I think is a, a way that leaders can win today. Open Office and Direct is produced by Raise the Bar, where we help companies level up their leadership by empowering their managers with the tools, skills, and training to be better leaders of people. You can get in touch with us at raisebar.co. Thank you for listening and go put your learning into practice.